This episode of the Global Franchise Podcast is brought to you by School of Rock, the world's leader in performance-based music education. For more information, visit franchising.schoolofrock.com. Welcome to the Global Franchise Podcast, bringing you an exclusive peek behind the curtain of the industry's biggest franchise brands. I'm Kieran McLoone, Deputy Editor for Global Franchise Magazine. This isn't what I'm here for. I'm here because I want to make the world a better place for young kids. And around us has gathered all these wonderful franchisees, absolutely amazing people who are also in love with these ideas. This is what they want to do and they've made a business out of what they love doing. Helen Doran Educational Group is a name that many in the education sector will be familiar with. The brand began in 1985 when founder and namesake Helen Doran wanted to create her own teaching materials for her three bilingual children. And since then, the concept has exploded into an international learning phenomenon consisting of multiple education verticals. Whether an entrepreneur decides to open a Helen Doran English, Helen Doran Kindergarten or Math Riders operation, they can be assured that they'll receive levels of support that can only be achieved after a lifetime of expansion and experience. After all, it's this support which led to Helen Doran Educational Group being awarded this year's Global Franchise Award for Mentorship, the second year in a row that the organisation has taken home this accolade. On this episode of the podcast, we speak with founder and CEO Helen Doran herself to learn more about the learning pedagogic brand and find out exactly what the future holds for this education front runner. Well, it didn't start off as a group, of course. <laughs> as you said, it's part of what evolved. We started off as, um, as a company that worked and taught English, but my whole idea of it was that we had English learning that would help develop children. My, we started off with Helen Duran English, which had its own methodology. I'm, I'm a linguistic scientist. Right. And when my daughter was four years old, she started to learn the violin with the Suzuki method. And I was excited, but I read all the books on the Suzuki method, and he talked about a mother tongue method of teaching music. That means that the... Um, that the children learn to play the music uh, long before they um, learn to read it. Just like kids learn English, their mother tongue, they learn to speak it and hear it and understand it and play with it and rhyme it and, 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 and word plays. They were really familiar with their language and then they learn to read and write it. So I thought to myself, wow, that is how we should be teaching language. So I started and therefore I created a methodology of positive reinforcement and repeated background hearing, which is how kids learn their mother tongue all around the way that they learn uh, that that kids learn English. And my idea was that kids could learn a foreign language. And while doing so, because I was focused on the very young kids up to the age of seven, I started from the age of one, one to seven-year-olds. So I focused on this very young group because I knew this was the age in which the brain was growing as well. So while we're teaching them this English, we're doing the thing that will challenge the brain the most, which is another language, and yet the brain has the plasticity to do it at that age. And the children love it and do it so naturally, and it's the only age at which kids can learn grammar, like a mother tongue. So I was very focused at the beginning on Helen Ron English. 
And I gathered around me people who were very, very excited by this as well. And uh, it grew from, from where I was. It grew all over Europe. It grew into Asia and it became a franchise method. But my goal had never been just English. My goal had always been actually how to teach the very young kids in the best way possible, how to use these years the best possible. I had in mind special nurseries, special kindergartens, always at the beginning. And in fact, right at the beginning, I thought I was going to go into this fast, but I didn't. The English grabbed me for so many years. Uh, We went into maths as well. We started with early year maths and then expanded because here was another language, mathematics, and how the kids can do it in a very easy manner with um, hands-on learning so that their mathematical thinking evolves while they're also putting it into books and doing songs and stories and doing as they're young. So their brains will be formed into mathematical thinking. But very fast, we moved into kindergartens. Well, too slow for me, but we moved into kindergartens as well. And there I could just let loose with multilingual programs and science programs that are musical and, and teach them in the best way possible so they can get as much knowledge as possible and as much development as possible, really to make super kids. And where we're doing it, we're seeing these super kids coming out. So the Helen Drone Educational Group evolved from English and it evolved into mathematics and kindergartens and movement and and all the things that went through it because of my passion for the younger age and the belief that we don't do enough with kids when they're younger. And kids can learn as much as we can systematically present them with. And we want to systematically present them with a lot more. So that's how it actually came into being. In fact, about 10 years ago, um, probably longer, I can't remember, somebody came and he wanted to buy, he wanted to buy the group. And uh, I remember sitting with him. We had long negotiations from in here and in Geneva and on his private jet, et cetera, et cetera. A lovely man. Very lovely. He loved education a lot, but his orientation was older kids. And I thought, what's going to happen to the group? I didn't let go. I didn't let go. I didn't even let him in in any manner because this isn't what I'm here for. I'm here because I want to make the world a better place for young kids. And around us has gathered all these wonderful franchisees, absolutely amazing people who are also in love with these ideas. This is what they want to do. And they've made a business out of what they love doing. And um, yeah, that's how it came up. And all across, whether it's here or whether it's in Asia and the kindergartens, of course, in its most extreme form of early child development and neurodidactic learning has taken have taken off in Asia, Korea of all places, because it's the hardest country for doing so, because they believe in teach, 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 learn, learn, learn from their really really little. But we're doing it in a fun way. We're doing it in a way which they love doing it and which they think learning's the best thing on earth. So you get better results like that than than stressing the kids out. So this is what it's all about. Yeah, no, it's, it sounds like it's a, you know, a really positive start to the brand, which you've managed to maintain all these years, which is a, a really great thing to hear. Um, just out of curiosity, Helen, when you sort of evolved and began introducing those other concepts, such as, you know, you've got the, the Math Riders brand as well. And as you said, math, uh, mathematics is another language. Was that driven by um, a kind of consumer 
desire in the sense did parents come to you and say this is something we'd like to you know see if you can offer us or is that something that you almost brought to the market yourself in a more proactive sort of way actually math riders was instigated more by teachers right okay who said why don't you do why don't you do this for for mathematics as well look what you've done for english kids kids don't know a day when they didn't know english you know they don't even see it as a foreign language they've grown up with this second language from when they were one year old today we teach from three months upwards but they so why don't you do this for maths we started maths at age for four-year-olds upwards today we've gone down to age two right in uh and Kids get into mathematical thinking, and it's really easy for them from a very young age. Again, music's on hands-on activities, not not just books, of course. Yeah. And so that they're living maths, they're doing maths, and it becomes obvious to them. They never struggle with it. Yeah. Well, I, I suppose you can't really get a better endorsement than that is, you know, teachers not necessarily looking for another brand, but coming to you and saying, we want you to do this with your methodology. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was great. Um, and you, you mentioned there, Helen, the you know the international um, network of the Helen Doran Educational Group, and you're in many, many countries around the world. Um, and I was curious whether the the teaching methodology across your brands varies depending on the specific market, if it's tailored in any way, or whether you found that you know having that consistency um, delivers better results for the children. Ah, oh, really good question. Um, the methodology remains the same. Right. Because it's based on the way children and teenagers learn. And doesn't matter whatever culture they're in, this is the brain friendly way of learning. However, um the materials may may vary, the levels may vary, what the parents expect to see from their children will vary. Uh in Korea we have kids coming five times a week and uh <laughs> and and staying for long for long times, and parents are expect they expect in kindergarten they expect their three year olds to be reading by the time they're three and a half. You know, <laughs> very intense. At least simple words, you know. So so whereas in Turkey, our kindergarten it's forbidden, right, to do this in in kindergarten age. So there's different demands, but the methodology itself is the same. And our our methodology for the English has the kids twice daily listening hearing this what they're learning at home and every month or two months depending on how fast they're they're progressing we will change the audio track that they have on their streaming device that we work with and they hear it while they're eating playing going to bed but when they come to the lesson they just learn what it means and the teacher always gives positive feedback there's no the kids aren't scared of making mistakes because whatever they do is they're getting good feedback. So, so this, this same basic methodology for Helen Drawn English uh, remains the same. This is methodology and, this, and the same for the maths, you know. Mm. Um, the maths, obviously, the repeated background hearing is less important because in most countries it's done in their mother tongue. But, but on the other hand, the, re- the positive reinforcement and the teachers who are trained to do the on-hand activities with the kids. And, you know, we have our teacher guides are extremely detailed. We have, we have activity by activity by activity. Our songs are, 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 top, are top notch. They're fun. They're age orientated. So, yeah, the musicality is something that goes across all of it as well. Yeah. So materials and goals will change according to parental demand. 
So we tried to meet demands like that in Korea without stressing the kids out. How do you do that? That was the biggest challenge because I'm sitting here saying that's not fair, that's not nice. But uh, on the other hand, they can do it. Yeah. And the challenge is getting them to do it without it being stressful. So that's the things we've worked on. Right. Okay. Um, and and one of the the big trends in the past year, of course, has been a real big shift towards technology. Of course, when centres like your own and in every kind of industry have been shut down, tech has become more important than ever in bringing people together. Um, and I was curious, Helen, as somebody who has been immersed in the education space for a number of years, um, what your th- thoughts were on you know what kind of role technology plays in the classroom, and um, perhaps weighted against that one to one more human interaction side of things. Okay, brilliant, brilliant question. What happened to us at the beginning of the COVID was uh, worldwide, all our centers are closed down. We, of course, use technology. We have our animations and our songs and all the, th- all the listening and the teacher things. Everything was on. We have a streaming devices. We, have, we, always, we always worked with a lot of technology. But all of a sudden, we needed to go online for our lessons. Within a month, we had 800 lessons online. And we can do that because we had flashcards already that we could just do digitally. We had games from our game sites called Kangi Club. And there's a lot of free games there for their kids for all ages. But, of course, the kids learning with us have have many more games. But um, we've always had technology. But here we ha- we went online with interactive PowerPoint, so even teachers from home, because they can't go into the centres to get hold of anything, where they had their teacher guides at home and they could go on and they could work with their kids and it was fantastic. It kept everybody afloat, it kept all our franchisees afloat, it kept our kids learning, and the vast majority of our people could survive like that. Some of them even grew, mm. absolutely amazing. And we interviewed, you know, we have a radio, it's called um, Teen Buzz. And uh, we interviewed a lot of our teens at the time. And we said, how are you enjoying the online? And they say, oh, we love it. And they especially loved it because all of a sudden they could have international lessons with people in different countries as well. That was great fun. But they were asked, what's better, online or in the classroom? And they all answered, we want to go back to the classroom. Now, it's not because what they're doing isn't good. It's because we're social animals. Mm. And uh, the kids are social animals, and they want to play physical games. They want to do things. They want to interact. They want to run around, you know? Yeah. So so we could, how do we see it future? We could see a lot more once a week lesson, online once a week, classroom lesson. We could see a lot more blended learning in this manner. We're discussing it. We're discussing it. We're discussing it. But it's... um. Yeah. The uh, but the kids want to go back to the classrooms. Yeah, you feel the person. I don't know if you had the experience. I don't know if you were always were you always working from home or did you go into an office before? No. So I um, yeah, we've we've primarily worked in an office uh, here at you know the team behind Global Franchise, and so initially it was quite strange to begin working remotely. Um, but I feel like you know the fact, even though I'm not a student of Helen Dora, and I understand the the mentality of it is you want that kind of social interaction, not just for the social side of things, but also you know both in learning and also productivity on our side. You get certain things out of having that face to face time, which you simply can't over a video call or over a chat messenger. It's less intensive. I don't know if you've expressed when you have back to back meetings from eight in the morning to six in the evening online. Mm. You come to the end of the day and you're totally drained yeah. and it's online. But if you do it here in your offices, 
you're not drained because there's been some sort of vibration interaction. You you interact with each other on completely different levels. Yeah. I mean, when you're on when you're online, your energy hits the screen and goes splat. <laughs> <laughs> So there's no exchange there. There's no exchange of energy. But uh, and I think the kids feel that as well. They yeah. very much, they want to be there. They come They come out of, uh, they enjoy their online lessons. And I'm sure that they've technically learned a lot. But as people, as socially interactive people, they want to meet each other. They want to be with each other. It doesn't matter how old they are. And if, the younger they are, of course, the more relevant. Mm. Well, um, that being said, I mean, it's really great to hear that not only were you able to pivot to that more online strategy when it was necessary, but, you know, that it was actually really um, taken up by the students and they have got a lot out of that, even though, you know, as you say, they'd like to get back to those more in-person sessions. Um, And as well as uh, having a bit of a developmental year in terms of your tech side of things um, at Helen Doran Education Group, uh, you also have had uh, quite a momentous kind of last few months particularly you know recently your your organization took home the global mentorship award at the global franchise awards for the second year in a row um so congratulations very much on that and i was wondering um helen why you think that the brand was recognized yes again for this accolade um and i suppose secondary to that you know what does excellent mentorship mean to you as the founder of this global organization well first of all as i mentioned before We were online within four to six weeks with 800 lessons, and we continued to develop after that. Yeah. Basically, because we had um, such a global outreach, and we have teacher trainers out there that have so much knowledge, as well as our own development team, we were able to outsource immediately to everybody to make sure that there's a lot of people working on this at the same time. You do this set, you do this set, you do this learning set, you do this learning set. And everybody knew what they were doing because all the lessons were ready. So a teacher goes online and it says lesson 23B and they can go online and they get immediately their PowerPoint presentation for lesson 23B and they've got their teacher guide in front of them and they just, they're ready to, they're ready to go. And we were able to do that because we are so systematic. In fact, our teachers could teach kids from anywhere in the world or they could walk into a, a, a teacher a teacher from Paris could walk into a classroom in Shanghai say what learning set are they on what lesson are they on and they know what to teach them they know what they know they know what's going on we're very 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 systematic which gives a lot of room for creativity because you don't have to reinvent the wheel of what you're going to teach so you can be yourself you can have fun you can let go you can be creative because you have a lot of stuff ready for you you don't have to be sitting there trying to do the hardware. But um, beyond that, uh, we are a franchise organization, as I said, which has strong teacher training. Our teachers, all our teachers are trained with pass-fail trainings, ongoing seminars to make sure that they maintain their level and up it. Every new teaching set they have to be trained for, they have to know what they're doing, they have to go into it. So we know the teaching level's good. Our franchisees have very strong business training from us as well. And we have regular conferences. We, this year, we gave an online conference, a really nice one. We brought in an external company. It looked extremely professional. And people were over the moon to, to actually have their master franchise conference online. Although normally all our master franchisees meet once a year in some exotic 
location, we change it from year to year, which is a bit complicated for us because each time we have to learn the hotel and the people and the surroundings, etc. anew. But for the franchisees, what fun. We get to meet each other yet in another year in another place. And we're about having fun. We want it to be a fun place. It's about making money. Of course it is. But it's about meeting each other and knowing each other and networking and liking each other and, and being together. So we have business training, ongoing business training, ongoing teacher training. We have training for our sub-franchisees as well. We have a lot of teacher guides. So we're there for them. We have a very strong customer care and, bus- and customer business development departments. We have our customer marketing department. Uh, obviously, we have our, which isn't anything to do with franchisee recruitment. We're there, we're there for our franchisees in everything. Right. Okay. That's really great to hear all round. And um, as well as the Global Franchise Award, um, you personally, Helen, were named as one of Businesswoman Magazine's top 100 uh, influential figures in franchising. Um, And I was wondering what advice you may give to female entrepreneurs who are either looking to follow in your footsteps as a, a franchisee, perhaps, or maybe even founding their own international business. What kind of advice would you give to them? Oh, wow. (laughs) Okay. Well, first of all, like any entrepreneur, do what do what you like doing. I mean, I know there are entrepreneurs that take something up because it's going to make them a lot of money. But I think that business and life is the same thing. You should do what brings you happiness. And you should do what interests you and what fascinates you and what draw, draws you in. So you need to go for something that really interests you. And the female part of it is always the balance that women have between home and business. We know a lot of our sub-franchisees who've opened learning centers find it's a wonderful thing to do because their kids can be part of this. They can have their kids even come in in the afternoon to do their homework and hang around and see how the business works. I saw that in Ecuador. They were all doing that with their franchisees. It's And, and especially, uh, I think that education talks to women but, but it doesn't have to be education. It could be any type of franchising. But in general, any entrepreneur, has a female entrepreneur, is under pressure if she's a family person, because not all women are family people. They're under pressure to balance with family life. So this balance needs to be found uh, in a way which isn't going to stress you out to the point where you're not doing well at business and not doing well at home and your health is suffering. Always think of yourself and your family first. That's my, that's, uh, and find the way to balance it so that you do not get exhausted and you do not get stressed. Because then life isn't fun, not for you, not for your kids, not for anybody. Money isn't worth it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so find a way to just keep balance and to keep yourself relaxed and happy as well. Yeah. And then, and then life, and then life will look after itself. Yeah, some really great tangible advice there, Helen. Uh, and the, the final question I have for you um, is just your thoughts on perhaps the biggest trends to come in the education industry in the months and years ahead, uh, perhaps even in the industry as a whole, or perhaps just things that you think people should be looking forward to to come out of the Helen Doran Educational Group. What are your, your organization's plans for this year? Well, first of all, we're working also our, our own personal plans or a creation of gamified online 
English learning and eventually learning of other things. Okay. It's not part of the franchise. It's a different organization. But, of course, our franchisees will be affiliates of this as well, which will be a great extra income for them. Mm. Um, it's, it's not the it's not interactive PowerPoints. It's total gamification learning, which is completely new, and very few people do it, if at all. So we have that. That's an interesting thing for us. I believe a greater focus is going on neurodidactics today, which is a greater focus on early brain stimulation for the very young kids. Okay. Working by chance, we were in this direction even before the main research came out. The research has just shown that what we've done is in line with early brain stimulation and um, it's fantastic. And for teens as well. How do teens learn? What is the right way for teens to learn? I mean, did you know, for example, that um, melatonin for us, for adults, kicks in between 9 to nine to 12 at night and right, that's the right time for us to go to bed. Right. But for teens, it kicks in between 12 and 3 in the morning. It's not the same. Oh, no, I didn't know that. And that's why when you have teens up early in the morning, they're still under the melatonin influence. They're not clear. They're meant to be at school at eight or nine in the morning and they're fuzzy. <laughs> they're not quite there yet and they're tired, mm. you know. So teens really ought to start learning at nine, possibly 10 in the morning and not before. And uh, that's just one example of the way teens need to learn as well as many other, the brain stimulating, what way teens' brains learn and what they like to do and what closes them and what opens them and doing. And there's a lot of research on it today. And we're incorporating all that into our teen, teen syllabus for the English. So there's a lot of research is coming out and it's a more and more, it's a popular trend. And of course, we're in the 21st century and we're talking about 21st century learning where nobody knows what's going to be, what are the jobs going to be mm. in the next, te in 10 years time. So how, what are we educating them towards? We're educating them towards the basics, I guess, which are, language and maths because they'll need it we don't just need the machines to be able to do this or be translators we do want them to have a form of international communication of this of this kind we do that stuff anyhow but they're going to need to be kind people they're going to need to be creative people the education's going to have to take them through all sorts of processes of personality development and to educate people towards ecological awareness is very important. We, we, for example, in our organization, don't have anything to do with um, cruelty to animals. Zoos are portrayed as villains. <laughs> and uh, children are educated in plant-based food and the importance of it for the ecology, for their own health and for animals in everything we do. And our kindergartens are all plant-based, for example. Right. And... Um, and I think this is the way the education industry will go because we are what we eat as well. So there's nutrition. We actually have online an online series uh, of, of tips for parents, two-minute clips. I think there's about 12 of them, 12, 13 clips. Can't remember exactly how many. Of a lady from the um, UK called Sonal Shah who worked, we worked with her to create tips for parents young parents who go on and find these clips are on our website so it's being better people is what's needed because so because we don't know what the jobs of tomorrow are 
We need people to be open and creative, which isn't obvious to everybody. No. Creativity is what the, what the Far East is looking for because they know how to learn by heart. They know how to learn with rote and they know how to be very fast, but they do not know how to be creative. Yeah. For many of the many. I'm not, I'm just, obviously this is, I'm sure there are very many pe- creative people in, 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 in Asian countries, but I'm, I look at Korea in which we have our own company and we have a lot of kindergartens. We know that this is something that's very much looked up to. Yeah. So it's looking at education in a much more holistic way beyond the simple, simple way that we may have previously. Absolutely. And to develop the kids' brains in the most brain-friendly, stimulating manner possible, which is what we've been at since 1980. We've been about it since 1985, really. Yeah, so a lot of experience. Um, Well, thank you very much for joining us, Helen. It's been really, really interesting hearing from you, not only about Helen Doran uh, Educational Group, but also, as you say, the much more holistic way that we should perceive education. So, yeah, thank you very much for joining us and uh, looking forward to seeing what's next from your organisation as the year moves on. Thank you and thank you for the interview. It's uh, been a pleasure. Throughout my interview with Helen, I found it particularly interesting how science-based the franchise truly is. This is something that you might expect from a fitness concept, but to have the curriculum and methodology of an education brand driven by studies on how the brain works in children truly sets the organization apart in this increasingly competitive space. One of the vital things that Helen touched on was the need for passion to be the backbone of an entrepreneur's journey. It's what inspired her to create this concept back in 1985 and is undoubtedly what has kept it going ever since. As she mentioned, money and success are favourable bonuses, but it's hard to maintain any kind of momentum without a belief in what you're doing. We'd be keen to hear your thoughts on this. What inspires you to continue down your own franchising journey? Make sure to let us know. If you like the podcast, subscribe and recommend it to your friends and colleagues. Or even better, leave a review or a simple rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your pods. To keep up to date with franchise news and have it put into context by the global franchise experts, subscribe to the magazine, hit us up at globalfranchisemagazine.com and follow us on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn today.